Hello, this is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. We're live every Sunday, 10am, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and our website, propertymatterstv.co.uk. If you're watching on the website, we'd love you to leave us a Google review, uh, of course, on the home button page there. And uh, also, if you'd like to get in touch, of course, you can get in touch for our email, which is hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. Property Matters is also available as a podcast. That's every Monday at 10 a.m., 24 hours after the uh, live show. And we're also on Dilsey Radio as well. Let's welcome our property expert, Joe Joshi. Hi, Joe. Yes, good morning. Good morning, all, uh, to our listeners and to our viewers. Uh, yeah, Dilsey Radio also now uh, has a weekly show for Property Matters. Um, so you can tune in there as well as, of course, uh, here and on our website. As if this wasn't enough. Right, <laughs> let's get into our first story this week. And this is something interesting I found. And um, I didn't realise that the government had done a consultative uh, white paper in 2021 on their strategy for uh, heating homes, uh, particularly in rural areas. And of course, you forget about that, that in the rural areas, there's a lot of very old properties that are not built to current day standards that, of course, have got still got oil uh, and gas heating in. So there's some confusion apparently at the moment because of this new policy set in 2021, exactly when it's come into force and what are prospective buyers of those kind of properties going to have to, uh, to do to them. So uh, the uh, Trade Association for Off-Grid Heating Technicians, he even knew there was a thing called that, it's called Off-Tech, and they've been receiving inquiries in recent weeks from estate agents and house sellers asking for advice on the government's proposals to transition rural properties on fossil fossil fuel heating systems onto renewable technologies and whether this will of course put off potential house buyers. Oftech says that there is an estimated 4 million properties across the UK who are not connected to the mains gas grid and use alternative fuels such as uh, oil heating, LPG or electric storage heaters. And uh, the uh, the proposals for the, from the government in 2021 were supposed to be uh, about uh, phasing out the fossil fuel heating systems in homes from 2026. In most cases, these properties will be expected to install a heat pump when their existing boiler stops working. And the announcement was part of the UK's ambition to achieve net zero by 2050. So as it stands at the moment, once that boiler conks out, then you've got to put in an alternative solution. Of course, um, those heat pumps and the work that required for them is an expensive job, Joe. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, probably something that's not been focused on purely because it is rural and, and one doesn't sort of um, bring that into the, uh, into the mind's eye about when you're looking at sort of, you know, towns and other areas and where we are fortunate to have um, access to you know gas electric through main services and mains drainage and so forth the rural properties are of course almost on their own in many shapes and forms including um, the fact that they may have cesspit uh, form uh, instead of mains drainage um, they may have obviously um, oil heating um, and and uh, that is is a huge issue um, when you look at what they're thinking about doing, I mean, the expense is just extraordinary because you could imagine that if the nearest point for gas or for the mains drainage is, is the nearest main road, 
and you've got a house that is about an acre and a half or two acres away from the, that site. You've literally got to plan to dig. And of course, you know, um, the services, the utilities providers view is that they can allow you to link in, but it's up to you to make the actual connection from your property right all the way down towards the road. And uh, that is a very costly exercise, let alone uh, think about perhaps fossil fuels going and you know some sort of uh, net zero types of operations coming in. So it is it is um, going to be quite challenging. I, I I think it's not been focused on to be honest with you because there are so few by comparison. Four million in in the grand scheme is probably not a lot, but the expense of getting them online uh, into the into the normal situation, what we call normal in terms of main drainage etc., is uh, an extremely expensive and challenging one. Yeah, because some of these houses are going to be listed buildings, of course, and uh, as I was saying, they're not built to you know, traditional standards of today. And and of course, um, one of those heat pumps isn't necessarily going to be the right choice for that kind of property, because we've heard from other people, haven't we, that they don't instantly heat up like a radiator does, for example, in a, in a modern his heating system. They keep a sort of latent temperature and gradually build it, don't they? Well, yeah, I mean, the heat pump and, and not only that, it's the amount of energy that these things can create. You know, what can they do? I mean, some of these properties, the rural properties are farming properties um, and they've got to look at livestock and the heating and, and all the facilities, the water and everything else that is required to keep live, livestock um, in, 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 um, in, in the situation that it has to be. And so... I think you know it's it's a far cry. I mean, I, I, ironically enough, I was talking to somebody yesterday who is, you know, um, had a, a water pump put into their garden and now is talking about um, uh, what do they call it, um, solar energy and of course heat pump and then trying to get their heat from from the earth. All sorts of people are looking at all sorts of things, but they're not cheap. In fact, we were even talking about putting a windmill back in the, in, in the ground because obviously that could probably do other things like, you know, back, back in the old days, get the horse, you know, steering the windmill going around. You know, it, it really is quite, quite ironic that we're having to even think about some of these older ways to just generate the um, power and the electricity and of course the waterworks and, and main, mains drainage that is required to um, to live in, in modern standards, but I, I think it's um, I think it's going to be a long time before that actually comes through because I don't think they've actually really thought it through. It's just something that they've been doing in the background, saying, "Oh well, these people should have, you know, um, energy efficiency situations in rural location." But you know, there are people like you say, there are properties that are listed. Not only are they listed. But they are probably owned by some very elderly uh, people who have got, you know, no view of making those changes. It's the new people that are buying them that may be thinking, okay, well, what do I do here? How do I actually make this efficient? And what's the cost? And that, of course, will be uh, relative to the value of the property. Yes, because they're unlikely to be particularly energy efficient. I and mean, if they had an old coal fire, an open coal fire, for example, in the past, then uh, you know it's unlikely to have um, uh, cavity wall insulation, that kind of thing. Um, but they're stressing the fact that um, 
actually these are only proposals at the moment uh, and they're in the consultation stage and they're saying that basically with a general election next year the date of 2026 is uh, looking particularly optimistic to have this in law of any description so they don't think it's coming anytime soon but I just thought it was an interesting subject to um, to talk about because um, they were saying that uh, there's no suggestions that for example that you're if you're a fossil fuel heating system in your in your country property uh, such as oil uh, for example or something like that or, or coal then there's no suggestion that you're going to have to take it out by 2026 or something or uh, replace your existing working boiler Proposal, proposals only focus on the installation of new heating systems when the existing one breaks down this means after 2026 you continue to use an existing oil boiler i suppose one thing you could do joe is you could replace your system with another oil boiler now um and then of course that could give you 20 years absolutely i mean there's that that is a very valid point a good point and maybe one that should be advised out rapidly by agents to their existing owners and say to them look you may as well upgrade your system now even as it exists so that you don't have to actually think about that when when you do come to sell it and because it'll be there for another 20 25 years way way after you have gone but the other thing is, when you look at these um, EPCs nowadays, I mean, none of these old houses are going to pass. It's just never going to happen. I mean, you try and get a, a grade two listed or a grade one listed property with the old sash windows and all sorts of other things that are going on to get some sort of heating control. It's just, you know, it's just a, not, not a, a thing that's going to happen in a hurry. Um, and also to comply with... Um, English heritage and um, obviously the listed building um, people, you've got to find, you know, almost handmade windows that then become, you know, efficient. So there's there's a lot of things to be done. I don't think they've actually, like you say, it's a consultancy. It's a, it's a consultancy at the moment, but it's good to bring it to 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 our viewers and listeners and, and put it in their minds that the uh, it's another thing that's coming uh, down the road. What's interesting is that this uh, trade association, Oftex, says that there are alternative solutions being put forward. Around 150 oil-heated properties across the UK have successfully transitioned to renewable liquid fuel called, get this, hydro-treated vegetable oil, or HVO as it's known, as part of an industry demonstration project. The fuel reduces emissions by 88% and works in the existing boiler and tank following a minor low-cost modification to the boiler. There's an increasing support from rural MPs for this solution who are seeking to secure an amendment to the government's energy bill. Have you heard of HVO? Not heard of HVO, but I've heard of uh, the vegetable oil uh, aspect of it, uh, which people have sort of toyed and thrown the idea about. But again, you know, how efficient is it going to be? And of course, it, it is noted that sometimes it's only a tweak of the boiler in some cases but um it's a bit like saying you know i've got a petrol car and, and i'm actually going to convert the engine now to diesel or to something else i'm sure it's not as easy as it sounds and and it'll probably be a, there'll be a complication because it's never you know just simple uh, and that's what the costs are going to be uh, going on but yes there are there I, i've heard of um you know vegetable oil concepts uh, in the areas that i work and live in sometimes i've come across properties that are you know, uh, still oil fired um, and they are difficult and oil boilers are very difficult. You've got to find specific engineers that actually understand oil boilers in order to be able to maintain them and service them because they're not all trained to deal with, you know, the gas or the oil or the oil people, the gas people are not always trained to deal with the oil ones and vice versa. 
So yeah, all of those things um, must be taken into consideration. There's a new ONS survey that reveals that two in three adults, 65%, are cutting back on their spending in response to the cost of living crisis. I'm surprised it's not higher, actually. With the recent half percent interest rate rise, of course, mortgages are getting more expensive. House buyers are increasingly looking at the potential additional costs once they move into a property. So, and I'm sure you, well, you mentioned this a moment ago, you had somebody talking about it yesterday, but people are now looking, well, okay, if I, if I have to put up all this extra money on the mortgage, I've got to make sure that the running costs are low. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's just not the mortgage uh, aspect of it. It's actually in the value. They are having to take into consideration all of the costs of perhaps upgrading a property that they may be purchasing um, in order to sort of meet all the future um, carbon emissions that everybody seems to have promised to 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 uh, deliver. So uh, yeah, it's it's a combination of both value, i.e., negotiating a better price, or having the add-on on mortgage. Either way, it's an expense that has to be considered now, an extra expense that has to be considered now in part of the moving process. It's not a good time for UK net zero ambitions when we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis, is it, Joe? I mean, all this extra cost to try and bring things up to uh, uh, scratch for net zero by 2050, and, and yet people say, well, I'm struggling to live as I am now. Yeah, it's, it's just not going to happen. I, I, I think there's so many things that they would love to have. I mean, if, if it was one thing, and, and let's say, like I said to you before, if it was just the interest rate and then other things that we need to maintain to the house to bring it in, fine. But it's been a whole barrage. We've just been absolutely bombarded in every possible way that you can think about at this moment in time. And considering we've had a low interest rate that everybody got used to, now all of a sudden the interest rate is much higher, you know, the utilities are higher, and now we're talking about here where, you know, boilers and things have got to be changed by a certain period, which they're just not going to happen, even though it's a consultancy. It won't happen to, in the period that we want it to be. EPC's got to be meeting a new criteria. It just goes on. The list is just going on and on and on and on. And, um, you know, uh, I don't think it really matters whether you're pink, purple or yellow or blue or, or red. It, it, it is what it is in the world crisis. And some of those have been created. I suppose, you know, I'm obviously always sympathetic to, you know, situations all over the world. But, you know, at the moment, we need to keep our house in order instead of looking at, over the garden fence and continue to support other nations when actually our own nation is suffering quite a lot. It's interesting, isn't it, to think that uh, to hit these zero targets, that means that every property pretty much in the UK, including all those on mains gas, are going to have to transition to a greener heating system in the future. I mean, it's a mammoth task, isn't it? It's a huge task and, uh, and it's not, not a task that's going to come easy. Um, and on top of that, we haven't got all the qualified people that can actually bring it up to that level in such a short space of time. I mean, to find trade that are qualified to do these things alone is a challenge. Um, I have recently spoken to a client who is, you know, purchasing a business where they are now looking to create a training center for uh, the trades because they just don't find, you know, the gas and the electric and the plumbers and, and you know, maybe oil-fired boilers, etc. people available already available from the time it used to be the, the next generation are not ready and, and trained to deal with those so there's a huge shortage in just labor supply there's just this tech, technical supply 
Yes, in fact, we've uh, got a development uh, on our street here that uh, has been going on for quite a long time, quite a substantial redevelopment that's going here. And um, they have been telling me that they've found it very difficult to get tradespeople who will, because because it's not just a heating system, it then comes with this sort of supercomputer that's on the wall that, that, that manages it all for you. So they're happy to put in the, the pipe work and so on, but then they have to uh, go to a, an electrician or someone like that to get that to be fitted, that part of it fitted. But of course, the electricians aren't particularly learning that because they're not putting in the pipes. So it, it does seem that we have to have uh, some retraining for, for those that uh, focus on specific things where the technology is now taking over. I mean, who would have thought years ago we'd have ended up with a, a proper decent computer in our car, but now we've got this huge computer that monitors everything in our car, um, whereas before it was completely, you know, petrol and mechanics. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is, is just dramatic changes and every home now is coming almost with a, a cupboard of, uh, of comms, communications, as it's called. This is the comms cupboard, which tells you about you know, the underfloor heating, it tells you about, you know, the uh, air conditioning that may be gone in, it tells you about all the lighting and, oh, yeah, and it just goes on. It's just a minefield. What's scary in my mind is that everything wants to go electric. Um, and, you know, if you don't have sufficient electric, what do you do? It just shuts down. Um, I mean, I, <laughs> I laugh about this, but at the same time, those that have got gates on their houses, for example, you know, they, they, you, as you drive out, the electric goes out, you can't get out of the house because the gate's just gone off and, and so forth. So, you know, it just, it, it made you sort of smile and think, oh my God, you know, we're relying so much on electricity in whatever form it's coming that um, I don't think that, you know, the world seems to be going towards electric. Um, you know, we were told many years back Oh, you know, got to come out of uh, petrol cars because diesel's the way. Then we all went towards diesel. And now they're saying diesel's not the way, let's go electric. So it's just, it's like a fad. It's just like, you know, it's like, you know, we just, sheep keep following each other and doing the same thing. But I think you've got to buck the idea and say that, that there are other things or stay where you are. Because at the end of the day, what can anybody really do? You might get a fine, but the fine might be actually worth paying by comparison to the cost of actually doing the whole work in the first place. Moving on to our second story, something we're revisiting because we talked about EPC certification and the fact that we have to have a rating of C or higher for landlords in particular um, by 2028 on properties. And we're seeing a greater proportion of properties, according to new research, uh, Joe, entering the rental market that were previously for sale and they have an EPC rating of C or higher. So basically what's happening is the latest government plan suggests that all rental properties uh, should at least have an EPC by... EPCC rating by 2028. The proportion of property entering the rental market with an EPC graded of A to C that were previously for sale has increased by 16% since 2019, while the proportion of rental homes entering the market with a D to G rating uh, has dropped by uh, 11%. These findings are supported by a new survey amongst landlords where more property investors said they were avoiding lower EPC rated homes. 
Almost two-thirds, 61% of landlords surveyed by, by Rightmove said they would not buy a property below C, uh, up from 47% last year, while a third of landlords who own EPC lower-rated properties plan to sell them rather than make the improvements to the EPC rating, compared with 20% who plan to sell rather than improve last year. So basically, landlords are reviewing their portfolios and rather than spending the money on doing them up, they're selling them on and buying something where someone's already done the work. Yes, and that's not, no surprise to a large extent because there, there are so, so many things that you've got to actually take into consideration. First of all, the older landlords that have had properties that they've had in their portfolio, let's say for the last, I don't know, 25, 30, 40 years, you know, now probably need upgrading to come and meet the new standard of a minimum of EPCC. Uh, are probably got equity in their property and uh, in their property, so are, are just happy to sell. The other thing that may be is the lease may be actually lower, and the lease, the cost of renewing that lease is going to be you know far uh, more, including the EPC. So uh, that's part of the reason there's a lot of buy to let or properties of investment that are coming to the market. Um, being sold and that then becomes a problem with a new owner who may be a cash purchaser but then will go into that knowing that they bought it at the right money now and spend the money to actually recoup the, per, the money over the next years themselves. You know there is a bit of going on and yes and the, the ones that are selling are obviously then looking to reinvest but now that they know what the, the problem is that it has to be a minimum of EPCC then of course they're going to look at properties that are available for uh, and with that with that EPC or that rating, so that they don't have to invest in it uh, much more going forward and can just you know live off the rental value. The survey also looked at why landlords are leaving the sector, uh, and the interesting I mean there's no surprise in the. Uh, in the results that come out of that uh, questioning, but uh, interesting to see the proportion. So the number one reason why landlords are leaving uh, the bright elect sector, 47% say it's because they've got concerns over the government's general sentiment towards landlords, which is an interesting one. Rising taxation was 41%, that's the second reason they're going. Increased compliance requirements, 33%, and the rising cost of buy to let mortgages, 25%. You kind of would have thought it might have been the other way around, but it's interesting to see that a lot of landlords think, well, do you know what, government doesn't want me to do it, I'll go and find some other way of making some money. Well, the government is really quite uh, foolhardy in, in this whole uh, situation because, you know, whilst they are putting all this um, pressure on landlords, what they're also not understanding is that so many properties are coming out of the private rental sector altogether. Um, and they then have to find themselves the the properties to provide for the homeless people that are becoming homeless quite rapidly at this moment in time number of reasons of course the cost of living is so expensive so sometimes they can't afford to carry on renting the property so they have to go to the council and say look i just can't do this you're gonna to have to find me a home that is more acceptable and sometimes it's about lenders who have pulled the plug and said we've got to sell this property because you can't afford to pay the mortgage the mortgage is too high um, and so I don't think the government actually um, has this right at all. Um, I think they need to support the buy to let market. They need to support the, the, the uh, landlords in order to make sure that they provide. Now, what happens is that, you know, you get a small percentage, one or two out of a hundred will be bad landlords. And unfortunately, everybody then gets tired with that same brush. 
um, oh yeah, somebody that you know is renting a house that's full of damp. So that's that means everybody must be renting a house that's full of damp. No, there are a lot of people that are very happy and comfortable and have a long-term relationship with their landlord. Some would go back ten years, maybe or more. Um, and we're quite comfortable where they are, but then there's that one or two guys who come along and go, right, I'm going to, you know, do 10 people in one room and, and, and it's full of damp and so forth. So that's the one that hits the media and that's what the government look at. And that's people like go look at it and go, oh, look what's happening here. We better do this to everybody because that's the right way to do it. And it's not because these people are now coming out of the market in absolute hordes. I mean, they just literally, you know, coming out as quickly as they can because it just becomes too expensive, not just interest rates and, and works that needs doing, but you know, their taxations are, are so much that it's, it doesn't leave them any money in, in, the, in the game. So why would you be in the business? Why would you be in a game that's not gonna give you any return? So yes, of course, they are now looking at alternatives. The problem is, what are the alternatives? There are not any particularly great alternatives other than stash your money into a building society because they're the only ones that are now paying a half decent interest rate. Um, so it's probably just easy to just park there and take a cruise. <laughs> um, it's interesting that there's a there's a cut-off point for landlords and there's research suggests it's around five or more properties. So landlords who have more than five properties, five or more, plan to increase their portfolio over the next 12 months. Compared to landlords who only own one property, only 10% of those were thinking about increasing their portfolio by adding another property. Landlords with bigger properties are also more likely to make improvements to their properties from below a C to 2025, before 2025, and uh, be more willing to invest in the property with an EPC rating lower than C. So what they're saying is um, that up and coming changes to the EPC legislation is the growing concern for landlords. However, the data suggests that many are getting ahead and focusing their investment in properties that will meet the new minimum standard and bring these to the rental market. So those with five or more are buying up the distressed sales of those who've got small portfolios and they're doing them up and putting them back on the market. So I suppose it's down to those bigger companies to do this investment that the government's been so keen for the rental market to do. Yes, I mean, what we call is accidental landlords. The ones that are below five letting properties are accidental landlords. They are people that either had the money and thought, well, actually, I'm not getting any good return on my money sitting in the building society or the bank. So I may as well go and buy a property. They buy one, two, possibly three, up to five. You know, those are, are one, two or three are now are, are just not worth worth their while. They, they bought them, you know, the cost of having it maintained, trying to get it up to EPC, C standard. Um, and, the, and of course, the buy to let money that is now costing, the borrowing is costing. They're the ones that are coming out. But, you know, there's a lot of them. It's not as if like this, it's, it's just not, you know, there's, there's millions of properties that are bought by what we call accidental landlords. So when people have had windfalls or, or had a, a bereavement and they've actually inherited property or they come out of a pension or they've got a pension that is, you know, end of end of uh, year, uh, end of employment pension schemes, etc. All of those things are means that people are turning around and say, well, actually, you know, that's not giving me an income. That's not giving me what I need. So they they became what we call accidental landlords. They They were the ones that the one or two or three property one, you know, they bought, which is the ones I was always saying in our time, that they're, they're the ones that probably shouldn't have been. And that, therefore, the market in itself, for the first time buyers, would have been more comfortable 
it wouldn't have had an increase in value to the levels that they did, like 20, 22% over the last two, three years, primarily because, you know, it would have been just ordinary buyers buying it and they should have been given another alternative, like some sort of investment vehicle, which gave them good return on their investment. They wouldn't have bothered to come into the property market. They wouldn't have become the accidental landlords. But now, in the current circumstances, those accidental landlords are now the ones that are paying the price, and so are the government, because all these people want to dump these properties um, because it's just not tax efficient. It's just not efficiency, um, if, as, sorry, as an efficient investment in, this, in the current climate. Final story this week, Martin Lewis is in the news saying uh, that homeowners should avoid a dangerous mortgage error. He's been explaining the uh, value of fixing longer. He's saying that in the market at the moment, the longer term fixes are the better value. Uh, but uh, th this whole notion that oh, I'll, I'll hang on a little while because uh, mortgage rates will get back down to normal uh, very soon. Um, but of course, <laughs> he's making the point that mortgage uh, rates have not been normal for almost 15 years. And if you think the sort of typical 35-year-old who's going into the mortgage market now to buy a first property particularly, the last 15 years since they were in their 20s when they probably weren't looking at the market, they've only known very low, historically low rates. And if you look at it in historical context, uh, which I've managed to do, I found on, uh, on online, here's the uh, two-year fixed rate mortgages in blue. Um, and we've got a graph here. 10-year is the maroon colour, black is the three-year fix, two-year variable is a green, and five-year fix is, is the grey. But what you can see doesn't really matter which one's which, but uh, back in uh, 2000, we were looking at rates of 7%, Joe. And then, of course, they've gone right the way down to just over 1% um, uh, in sort of 2021, the lowest point there. Uh, and now, of course, climbing back up to... Uh, to 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 where uh, sort of where they were at one time. So if you if you drew a mean line through that graph there, you're looking at just under four percent, I reckon. So that's uh, you know we're we're not far off what is normal for the last fifteen years. But he's saying, oh, you mustn't mustn't possibly sit there and look at them. Well, I'll wait wait till wait till rates get back to uh, more normal levels of sort of one percent. I don't think we're going to go back to that, are we? No, and um, I think Martin Lewis is absolutely right. Uh, it, it's good advice, good guidance, and I would only endorse that because as far as I'm concerned, I've always thought that the average rate should be about 5%, which you know I think I've mentioned a million and one times on our shows and so forth. I always thought that's where it would settle. It is now settling at 5.5, probably going to be 6, probably going to be 7% by the time we finish. So it's going to be back to the 2007 range before you know it. Um, so if the opportunity exists, and this is where um, Bob Singh probably would, would come in, um, take your fixed rates for as long as you can. Uh, you know, five-year fixed are probably the right way to go at the moment if they continue to do what they are. I mean, it is highly likely that we could be at eight, nine percent before we know it. So if you can get something fixed at six, six and a half percent now, you'd be certainly uh, advised to to take that opportunity on. Um, I don't think they'll reverse. If they ever reverse, they'll reverse to something like around four, five, four and a half, five percent, which is your average line that you wanted to take across there, which is where it's going to be. Um, you know, it's the same as people said to me over the years, I'm waiting for the house prices to drop before I buy. But what they forget, there's all sorts of other things that have gone up in the, in the meantime. 
So the house prices, even though there might be a 5%, 6%, less even a 10% uh, correction in the current market, what they don't take into consideration that it actually went up by 20, 25% over the last you know, two, three years. So you're not actually gaining a great deal, but you might feel good, might have a feel good factor to say, well, actually I bought it on the, on the downturn. So it is a currently a buyer's market. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, but the question is, how much of a buyer's market is it by comparison to maybe two years ago when it was 20, 25% up? So I suppose the answer to the question is, is, is the same as Martin Lewis's, and that is, you know, take your steps now, whatever they are, um, because you'll go forward and you'll find that maybe if you don't take a fixed rate over the next five years, you might find that, that, that price is actually way above what you might fix it now. It's the same as a house price. If you don't buy them at, you know, when you're ready to buy, then you'll find that you, know, you might be actually paying even more when you do actually have the money to put the deposit or you can't get the money from your parents or you can't find the resources and the sources for putting the deposit down or getting the mortgage. You might find that the house prices have shot up beyond that level anyway. So. You know, it is what we live by in the UK. The housing market is, is prime in, in all our discussions. And I think, you know, where possible, when you can, try and do it as soon as you can. He says uh, right now a five-year mortgage fix is cheaper than a two-year and a 10-year mortgage uh, fix is cheaper than a five-year mortgage. So suggestion is that they think that rates in the short term will come down. But it's a question, I suppose, of by how much. But uh, anyway, we shall wait and see. And I think uh, that's all we've got time for this week. So, Joe, thank you as always for your wisdom and your words. And we'll see you again for another Property Matters this time next week. Mm -hmm.